Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Caught offside. With Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes! Caught offside from just outside of New York City and from an apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney as the transfer window slams shut. What's up, brother? And we'll decide whose fingers have been caught beneath the window. Hmm. Indeed, indeed. What a fun podcast this is going to be. Well, like we just said, we'll do a little bit of uh, transfer window recap. See who, uh, see who had a successful window and is set up well for the rest of the season, and who had a disastrous one. I probably have stronger feelings about the disastrous ones than I do the good ones. Um, so we'll we'll go through some of that. You had the chance to fulfill a fantasy of mine, JJ. You, uh, I, I was not able to take part, but you, uh, we have an in the club, and it's with Fulham. Uh, which you sat down with Jack Collins of the Fulhamish podcast. Uh, I can't wait to hear it. You know, uh, you know the the weird soft spot I have for that club, and so I'm so excited about that uh, that in the club that you did. Yeah, no, it's a great one. Jack gives some really good insight. Um, little things I didn't know um, gives a real angle on where the club are at right now, and is a tremendously tremendously nice fellow, which is always good. That is good. That's wonderful. Um, Let's see. We have our Carabao Cup final. No surprises with what it is after what those first legs were. And even after we kind of looked at the matchups, even before the first legs, it's pretty much what we thought it would be. But we'll give some of our thoughts on that. Um, kind of a big move in MLS of a player leaving for Liga MX that uh, I want to mention near the end of the show. And JJ, I just watched, uh, I just finished the four-part series on Apple TV, the documentary uh, about the Super League. Oh, boy. It took me right back. It took me right the F back into that thing. I felt the anger all over again. It was, I thought it was so good. Um, so I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that later on in the podcast as well. 
I'm curious because I think this might be the first time in the history of the pod you've watched a very current and interesting documentary before I have. Is that true? I'd say football wise, yeah. Um, didn't I just watch I just watched the Pep Guardiola one? I don't right. think you had seen that. I thought yep. it was great. We talked about that. Okay, uh, maybe. Did I didn't I, I just watched the FIFA one before you, I thought, as well. Mm, or was it a tie? Concurrently. Okay. You always have to make it about yourself. You couldn't just say, oh, I can't wait to hear that. You had to <laughs> somehow insert yourself and your dominance into the conversation. Honestly, it is a problem for me. I, well, I, let's, I, well, let's work on it. Right. Your, okay. The well, fact, just the mere fact to hear you accept that there's a problem. This is, this is a big step. So next time you say something, either football related or anything related, I will not try and one up you. <laughs> okay. That's, it sounds like a plan. I'm excited about the new JJ. I'm way more excited about the new JJ. Oh, he's not off to a good start. Um, let's see. Let's transfer the transfer window, JJ. It's uh, it's the January window, which I have. I don't know about you. I have found maybe it's always been this way, but I kind of feel like in the last few years, the January window has gotten more exciting than I I remember it being years ago. I feel I like think in the it... past it was like a a way to like fill in stop gaps and like plug holes but now i feel like there's like real in the last few years real true superstar movement i i <laughs> oh my oh, god here we go I, I think this window has been i mean chelsea have dominated uh, with their kind of let's have everyone approach to the game but i i don't i don't agree with you i think oh. the high water mark of 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 the transfer window was uh, you know, Andre Arshavin, which that's got to be what 11, 12 years ago now, uh, coming into Arsenal, and and the big hullabaloo about that signing, and and you and and this, I know it's pretty much designed by Sky that we don't see supporters outside the grounds anymore because of you know, sex objects in ears. Let's be honest, um, but. I, maybe this window is a return to more exciting windows to come, but. I, on the other, on the flip side to that, is it that exciting? Outside of what Chelsea have done, is it that exciting? I don't know. What an unfair statement. Outside of one of the most exciting transfer windows we've seen in recent memory for a club, was it exciting? Well, that's a you're taking out a huge part of the excitement. They were a thrill a minute in this. We can't about, just remove that, Mrs. Well, just Lincoln. To, just to destroy your your other argument, I mean, the window where. Luis Suarez comes to Liverpool. Um, Andy Carroll comes to Liverpool. And Fernando Torres goes to Chelsea. That was a heck of a window. Yeah, all right. And that's 12 years ago as well. So I, I, th I think the window was very exciting, then got less exciting and maybe ramping up again. All right. Well, here are the... Uh, I have I have broken it down into winners and losers. Um, so... We can go through this. I'm guessing we'll have a little bit of overlap. I have two in each, JJ. We'll start with the good. Um, my my first winner, I have Arsenal, which is a little bit strange because a lot of this window was dominated by the idea that they would get Mudrick, which, and they, of course, didn't. Um, but by the same token, like even you talked about, he cost a fortune and there are questions around him. Like it's not, you know, they, they didn't necessarily... Chelsea didn't necessarily bring in a sure thing with him. So, you know, who knows? It, it could wind up working out a little bit for Arsenal. 
But I, I like it for Arsenal just because we can we see now their eleven is really strong, and I think we've seen that 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 eleven for Arsenal is good enough to to potentially win this league. The question was if they had enough cover for that eleven. I feel like Jorginho and Trossard kind of fit the bill for what they're looking for in that way. Um, so, and the other thing with them too is it's not entirely just about what they did. It's also as much about the things that Manchester City didn't do. Um, they essentially did nothing in terms of players coming in and they lost, I don't care what they tell you, they lost one of their best players in Jao Cancelo. Um, so I think when you combine those two things, Arsenal kind of, bringing in the right type of players to add a little bit of depth and their rival closest team to them in the table, chasing them for this title, doing nothing except losing a great player. I think, I think it has to go down as a win for Arsenal. Yeah. I had them under a different category, but I I agree with those two signings. Like if you can bring in, you know, solidly understated transfers like Trossard and Jorginho, I think that's very, very good. And, um, it should be noted, Modric looked amazing in his debut against Liverpool. He looked fantastic, but there are there are the question marks about the level he's played at, and um, and having, you know, having some of the stats guys kind of consider him not up to par in terms of what he's done in the Ukrainian league. That be that as it may be, um, yeah, I think that's been a solid solid window for Arsenal. Um, I've gone with Chelsea for winners. And hmm. it it won't be clear whether they are winners or not, but in one way they are. I mean, just the excitement of what they've done. Like, it's I know it's a lot of money, but there was the fear that the old Chelsea was gone, and and the Chelsea that most Chelsea supporters have been brought up with, which is let's throw money at at the market, get the best players we can into the club. And Todd has not let them down in that regard so far. Um, incredible amount of transfers coming in. You mentioned Mudrig, um, Enzo Fernandez. You know, it, it's it's a very, very kind of, uh, I don't want to say uh, look at the new boss, same as the old boss. But, you know, we've never seen anything quite like this. It could work. It could also not work. But one way or the other, you, like, there's no Chelsea fan sitting at home thinking, didn't do anything in that window. Really disappointing window. Nobody's think, thinking that. And there's a buzz around it. Now, Austin Griffin is a, a listener to the podcast who is a Chelsea fan. And, uh, you know, we've spent most of our time asking, how is this possible with financial fair play and these contracts that, they're, that they appear to be handing out? And he sent uh, an athletic breakdown of it. Now, basically, it is a, a BS salad of different components that at the end, you're like, okay, none of this really makes sense. There's amortization involved. There's the longer stretch, the payments over uh, deferred payments, all that kind of thing. The fact that Chelsea were actually in okay financial health going into this window, mm. they were, well, they mm. were on, they were somewhere perceived to be on the right side of financial, financial fair play. Ah, none of that matters. Like it doesn't matter. Like I've, I've, I'm past that now. I think what matters is whether this works or not, because I have no, I have no faith. I have no trust in the, in the checks and balances of financial fair play. So I think for Chelsea fans, maybe they can look at this window and think, yeah, we're kind of winners here. 
I had another winner, but while we're talking about Chelsea, go on. I wonder if we should just go to to the go losers on. that I have to continue this conversation rather than breaking it up because do it that way. We, we, and we'll get back to our other winners if you even have them. Um, because I, a, I'm stunned just to know you and to see what Chelsea have just done. I feel like this is you putting them down as a winner. I don't know. I feel like this, this kind of just goes against oftentimes what I, what I think of your sort of like football ethics no, uh, I, I, I listen. That last uh, diatribe was devoid of ethics. I mean, I, I'm basically saying I don't believe financial fair play. Well, and, and, and by the way, whole this, this not just for a... Chelsea. I don't believe it for anyone. I mean, before we even get to Chelsea, Manchester City and their the fugazi way that they generate money. Manchester City are the biggest, uh, according to For- Forbes, the biggest revenue generating club in the world. Shut up. Like, we know that is absolute fugazi. It's a whizzle-wazzle. So maybe I've just given up on this whole thing. All right. So I'll get to a little bit of that. But So I have them as a loser. Um, now, look, I, I have to preface this by saying some of what you say there is absolutely true. Like, it, if this does work, it will be spectacular with some of what they've done here. Because it's not just great potentially great players that they brought in, but young ones too, that could be a part of a core for years to come. So yeah. if you're a Chelsea fan who who is hearing me right now, put you down as one of the losers and you want to tell me to F off, I get it. Like I, I, I get it. You're right to say it. I accept your F off. Um, but here are the reasons why they go into my loser column. Um, first of all, I, we have to start with just like, what in the name of God just happened with Hakim Ziyech? What what happened? What actually happened here? Yeah. He was a PSG player, and then he wasn't. And it's not... I I, I had an interesting conversation with somebody at work today um, who's a, a massive soccer fan, an English guy. Um, and his theory is that Chelsea did not want to let Ziyech go. He said this, like, to the point... like Because this, this was dumb to the point of suspiciously dumb. Like, uh, one of the biggest clubs in the world... That which they are, they can't they can't operate that kind of way. There's just it's impossible. So he believes that they didn't actually want him to leave, and this was their out was the, by kind of playing the fool to the make same sure as, it couldn't happen. The same as Real Madrid and their dodgy facts when they I mean, were I, go, going to sign De Gea, and then suddenly it didn't work. Right. We we can you can believe I suppose whatever you want it whatever you want to believe, but just the idea that clerical errors unsigned documents right as what got in the way of chelsea loaning hakim ziyech to psg it's it is suspiciously dumb like it's to the point jj of like whenever you start to feel like you're not good enough to ever like reach the pinnacle of what you do just remember that one of the biggest football clubs in the world tried and failed not once but twice in sending a document with a signature on like this is it's it's crazy this is from sky sports they said uh, Ziyech cannot believe his move to PSG has fallen through. The player is said to be, quote, incandescent. He was messaging Todd Bowley on Tuesday night, pleading to get the deal done. The player is still stranded in Paris and is absolutely desperate to join PSG, even willing to pay his own money to get the deal done. One source in Paris uh, has told Sky Sports last night was an absolute shambles. Chelsea will not darken PSG's doorstep ever again. This is not how you do business or treat a player. I mean, 
I don't know. It's a club that was kind of already like viewed in in a strange light with some of the way they were doing things, and then they and then this like it just it's embarrassing. I mean, if it was intentional because they didn't want Ziyech to leave and they just I don't know didn't have the heart to tell him that seems hard to believe, but whatever. Like then it's then it's almost admirable that they'd be so willing to look this dumb in the name of trying to keep a player there under some kind of false pretense. Because uh, because right now they're a laughing stock for how this played out, so that's one thing that I just now you've got a, a a furious player that you have to deal with, and you've got a club in PSG that may never want to do business with you again. Um, so you've got that. Then we can get into a little bit more of the financial fair play of what you talked about. So I know you say you don't believe in it, and I guess that is something. But for those who do, this is from the Times in London. They say Chelsea will be in danger of breaching UEFA's financial fair play rules if they fail to qualify for the Champions League this season after already being placed on a watch list by European football's financial watchdog. Um, I don't see that. I don't know about you. Do you think this team is qualifying for the Champions League? I mean, right now, I don't think so. I don't think so either. I don't think so either, which means if this is to be believed, they're in real trouble. And here's the interesting thing. Like you said before, they entered this period in, in good financial standing. They they are, um, though. Well, but what I find interesting is that, so Chelsea were one of 19 clubs that only just escaped, just recently escaped FFP violations, because, but not because they were in good financial standing. They escaped these violations because of allowances that were made for COVID. Right, but like... but And then they went and did this so brashly after they kind of got off on a technicality. Like so, this finance. So they were already. I mean, the word probation wasn't used, but if there was UEFA's financial watchdogs already had them as one of the clubs on a watch list, and then they did this, and if they don't qualify for the Champions League, there's people from the Times in London saying that there's a good chance they'll be in a breach of it. Now we can ask ourselves whether or not financial fair play is totally impotent, and whatever the punishment is is a joke, and so it doesn't matter. That's another story. But if it does matter, if it does come with some kind of, I don't know, European ban or transfer ban, uh, then this could become a bigger issue. We'll I see. mean, I don't I don't want to go article against article, but, you know, so the the club actually made a huge profit. I'm, I'm reading from The Athletic. The club actually made a huge profit from player sales estimated by respected football finance, finance analyst Swiss Ramble to be 160 million. And it lists the departures, Tammy Abraham, uh, Kurt Zuma, et cetera, et cetera. So that was for the financial year ending June 2022. Chelsea's overall financial results for 2021-22 are not yet public. The club is until March 31st to file their accounts with Companies House. Um, but um, Swiss Ramble estimates that Chelsea's pre-tax profit for 21-22 will be 19 million. Um, between those two years in the black is a huge 156 million loss in 2021, partly resulting from the mammoth spending, which was Havertz, Werner, the Germans, all that. Um, basically, the athletic line outlines, including the COVID issue, how how this is possible, how they are still okay right now. Now, this may push them into absolute problems. I agree with that. But as we sit here right now, without much more information, they're okay. The Times, again, JJ, um, Kieran McGuire, a football finance analyst, said Chelsea's wage bill in 2021 was £333 million, and that was before the club had made an investment in a myriad of players on long-term contracts. Um, 
he goes on to say, I think failure to qualify for the Champions League this season will mean that they will be very much on UEFA's watch list. The thing that is most likely to be able to dig Chelsea out is that they do have young, they do have players who have come through the academy who count as a zero cost in FFP uh, calculations uh. who could be sold for significant sums. So basically what they're saying is Callum Hudson-Odoi, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, and Colin, uh, Connor Gallagher, st- start packing your bags. There's no way forward for you. For you no, see ya. All the best. So, yeah. I mean, I I don't really want to go much further with this, Andrew. I have more articles to read, JJ. I really don't want that. Oh, okay. So I'm saying Chelsea are winners. Um, I, I'm parking my ethics. The ethics have been parked outside. I've put money in the meter. Ethics stay there for a while. Well, I, here, I, I don't have more articles to read, but I do I do find this Chelsea thing so interesting. Um, the other thing I worry about with them is, so they signed eight players. They can only register three of these signings for the Champions League that they're in. So, That's right. Uh, so let's just assume two went back on loan right away. So really, it's, we're talking about six. I'm not going to go through every single one of them. Just know Mudrick and Enzo Fernandez, they're on. So two of the three are those two. There's no there's no reality where I don't see those two being included. So now we're talking about either Zhao Felix or Benoit Badiashile won't be able to help this team in the Champions League. That's wild. Mm. So who do you pick between those two? Like, are Zhao they, Fe- are they going to leave a 35 million pound center back on the sidelines? To go with Jao Felix? Are they really going to do that and, and rely on Thiago Silva? Or are they yeah. going to leave the more high-profile, experienced player in Jao Felix at home? Like, either way, it's... I don't know what the right answer is. But it's Look, interesting. I'm not saying this plan makes sense. <laughs> but this is what they're doing. This is what they're doing. And it's... I, I would love to have been at a Chelsea board meeting where, where Bowley lays out the strategy because it doesn't seem like the strategy of any football person in recent times. So what ever. is their 11 now? I, I have what I think mine would be. Uh, no idea. No idea. I think Mudrick, Havertz, and Sterling up front. Mm. Enzo, well, this is when everyone's healthy, by the way. Okay. Uh, Enzo, Conte, and Mount in the midfield. Chilwell, Koulibaly, I guess Thiago Silva. Although I'm kind of curious to see more from Badia Shile. You could, you could sway me. Well, uh, Thiago Silva is in decent form, so why? Yeah, I know, but he's 38. <sighs> yeah, but he, you're right. Uh, and Reese James. Like, so, I mean, a lot of the names I just read off there, it could, like you said, it could be, it could be spectacular. And Lord knows they have depth, but I don't know. I just feel like we've kind of seen this before, and I just worry about just like this, this approach of just. I grabbing I, a whole bunch of players at once and, and hoping it works. Why worry, Andrew? It's going to be hilarious one way or the other. With all this, so I want to do a quick exercise with you. Because um, I saw ESPN UK, their Twitter account, um, they they posted a list of the top 10 most expensive signings in the history of the Premier League. I'm going to read them, and I want as we go through them, I want you to tell me if these guys on this list have even gotten close to living up to their price tag, I, okay. I won't even demand that they re, that that they have lived up to it. Just okay. tell me if they're close. All right. The first one, the most expensive one, Enzo Fernandez. We don't know yet. That's to be determined. Second most expensive, Jack Grealish. No. Third most expensive, Lukaku to Chelsea. No. Fourth most expensive, Pogba to United. No. Fifth most expensive, Anthony to United. Nope. Sixth most expensive, Harry Maguire to United. Nine. Seventh most expensive, Jaden Sancho to United. Oh, no. 
Eighth most expensive, Lukaku to United. Nope. Ninth most expi- uh, expensive, Van Dyke to Liverpool. Yes. Yes. And tenth most expensive ever in the Premier League, F- uh, Wesley Fofana to Chelsea. Not yet. No. Dealt with injuries. We don't know yet. But that's that's not good, which is <laughs> what we just did there. That like that has to tell you something, right? Like this doesn't I don't know. I don't know why. These are all great players. I don't know why it doesn't work, but history tells you it doesn't. I don't know. I don't know. I I we are we are not gonna know and but but the knowing part, as we find out, it's gonna be tremendous fun. You have to say that. Yeah. Oh it, JJ, it, this is fascinating. What's yeah. happening here? Like, I can't wait to see what happens. And, and if, if it implodes in Todd's pudgy face, it's going to be hilarious. And if it doesn't, then like it could. I mean, look, could be removing, re- removing the fan part of this, like the removing that for a sec. I mean, it could make for a very interesting top of the table. So you're right. We'll see. I have no idea. No one has any idea. But it is interesting. It's very interesting. I've I've one more winner. Um, I think Manchester United potentially getting uh, Sabitzer in so quickly after knowing about Ericsson's three-month layoff because of Andy Carroll's just brutal challenge. Yeah. Um, Andy Carroll st- still on the scene. Um, Andy Carroll, of course, of Reading. Um, uh, like, to get Sabitzer in is, as midfield... He's, I mean, he's not Ericsson. I get that, but... To have cover in the midfield so quickly is, I think, is very good. What good about Wout Veghorst? Uh, yeah, I just love him being there. Um, I'm not sure if he's going to give Ten Hag everything he wants, but um, yeah. And Ten Hag, again, tonight in the in the Carabao Cup, starting everybody. Start your best players. So, um, Sabitzer can expect minutes. Uh, let's see. I have um, I have one other loser to mention. Everton. Uh, it's, it's flashing right in front of me. <laughs> I mean, like is... a time of true crisis. Like we can say all the all the time. Are they a club in crisis? Let's let's go through these clubs and we'll say yes or no. I mean, this is this is the, the gold standard of a club in crisis. And like. It's a squad that appears to be void of talent. This is your last chance to do something, anything, and you do literally nothing. Well, I shouldn't say that. They did something, but it was players going the wrong way. They lose Anthony Gordon, take the $45 million, do nothing with it. I mean, look, I am not – we've talked about this before. I do not believe in spending for spending's sake. Um and like I know it's a two-way street. They can't just go and get players. Players have to want to be there also. But no one, JJ, no one? I um I can't believe it. The video that's spinning around is the one of Mashiri from last week, where he's done a sit down and explained the situation at the club or somewhat explained it. And he said, We need a striker, we'll bring a striker in. And the fact that they haven't done that is crazy to me. It also suggests that there's a Usmanov-sized hole in their finances that needed, like that the money that came from Anthony Gordon couldn't be put somewhere else. It has to go into whatever, in probably into the stadium or something like that. 
which suggests that the financial the the financial situation they're in is much much worse than we actually know. I'm reading here. Fans have held on to the belief that if players were brought in this window, we may have a chance. We may have had the chance of staying up. Former captain Alan Stubbs told Sky Sports. But to see them sell someone for $45 million and bring no one in, it is just another in the catalog of errors made by this inept board. Alan Stubbs. Yeah, and, um, and um, our friend Ped from Toffee TV was on Sky Sports and just yeah. absolutely crestfallen um, with what's happening there. And the video then that I saw doing the rounds was from, I think it was from Stat Sports on TikTok. So they had access to the Everton training ground. And... Dyche was doing the beep test with them, which I think is something everyone's familiar with, the fitness test. Um, you run out, you get back to the cone within a beep, and then that the duration between beeps gets shorter, and so the pace is picked up. This is preseason stuff. Yeah, Dyche is having to condition them now in the middle of the season, which is just outrageous to me. <laughs> it's not good. It's not no, good. None of, none of it's good. You've got and one like, category here I'm, I'm curious about. Well, but there's one other thing I want to mention with this Everton thing. Oh, okay. It, it, not only is it not good, but here here's the real problem, JJ, is like what I mentioned before about Arsenal, they're a winner, not just because of what they did, but also because of what Manchester City didn't do, the closest team to them. Let's stop for a second, take a look at the net spending of the teams fighting for their Premier League lives in this in this January window, the teams that are around Everton, and then we'll compare them to Everton. Lead, we'll start at 15. Leeds, negative 46 and a half million. That was what they, that was their net spend. So they, they invest, basically they spent 46 and a half million. Uh, 16th, West Ham, negative 15 million. 17th, Wolves, negative 31.6 million. Mm. 18th, Bournemouth, negative 54.5 million. Bournemouth, Everton, plus 45. Then we go down to Southampton at 20th, negative 60.85 million. Like all these other teams around them, look at Southampton, who are who are dead last in the table. They're not resigned to their fate. They just had a net spend of over sixty million to try to save their lives. But when you see Everton, who made forty five million in this transfer window, that's a that's waving a white flag. Is how your support. That's the only way your your supporters can see that when they see what all the other teams around them are trying to do. We can say, oh, you know, but players don't want to go to Everton right now and be in a relegation fight. Well, Southampton found them. They just spent over sixty million. What are Everton doing? Uh, you have to think that they didn't pull a fast one on Sean Dyche and tell him we, we'll give you money and then not give him money. So Sean Dyche has gone in with the remit: you have to make the most of what you've got now. If Sean Dice keeps them up, I think it's a it's a it's a tremendous effort. Has a guy ever come in at this stage in the season and won manager of the year? That's a great question. Like if they safely avoid relegation, if they finish like 14th and like they're at, and like the last like four weeks of the season, they're not worried. Like he's got a shot at winning it. He really 100%. does. He I absolutely- mean, Arteta is probably going to cruise to it, but Dice could finish top three if that if that happens. He he has the opportunity to to write himself into the the history books here with this because that squad does not look like it is prepared for a relegation battle. No, no. Um, last one here. We, we did winners and losers. What about like the underrated, like the ones that like aren't going to be flashing in lights and get a lot of attention, but is actually maybe better than what is being given credit for. Um, 
I've I've only picked one because the quotes from the director of football that sold the player are interesting to me. Um, Jorginho Rutter to Leeds United. Oh. We regret the premature departure of this highly talented player who is not only a great guy, but also has the ability to provide spectacular moments on the pitch, said Hoffenheim director of football, Alexander Rosen. In light of the third highest transfer fee in the club's history, as well as the clearly communicated desire to move, it would not have made sense to block a young player like Georgie from the path he is pursuing. I'm sure I'm not the only one who will miss him. Now, that's Mm. either actual accurate praise or it's like, we can't believe it. We are getting all this money. We are getting rid. It just seems to be damning with fame praise. In light of the third highest transfer fee in the club's history. You know. But they say, but I don't know. I think it might be real because they say such nice things about him. Yeah. Not just like the footballer, but they actually talk, they go out of their way to talk about what a good guy he is. Yeah. I, I, I have a hunch this might work out. And it's something, you know, um, goals and, and attacking is something that leads desperately need. Um, and for them to be more clinical in the box. In fact, I was texting with a friend of mine who was asking my opinion of um, Weston McKinney, and McKinney arriving in the box, headers and scoring goals, that, they'll want to see that too from him. Goals from midfield will be crucial too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I just picked it out. I think I, I think Rudder might be a good buy, um, highly rated, and uh, let's see what he can do. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I'll, I'll go real quick here. I don't have much to say on it. Just um, Nottingham Forest, JJ. Uh, how about Kaylor Navas lining up in goal mm. for Nottingham Forest? John Joe Shelby, Chris Wood, Felipe from Atletico Madrid. I know he had fallen out of their starting eleven, hadn't started for them since November. But I mean, you're for Nottingham Forest Chelsea signing everyone. I mean, they've the money they've spent. They've spent more than f- entire leagues in Europe, which just, I mean, there's a conversation to be had, Andrew, about how disgusting the Premier League is and how enormous and amorphous it is compared to every other league and the way it dwarfs it. But like, I did not see Kaylor Navis signing. I did not see that coming. That's um, wild, right? It's, it's, it's a bit strange. Well, coming to a, a city ground near you. Yeah. I guess he's on loan. So maybe, yeah. uh, maybe that kind of experience can bring on their other keepers. I don't know. Well, well there you go. That's the January window, everybody. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> um, Carabao Cup final. It's set. Newcastle's going to face Manchester United later this month, February 26th. That's a Sunday, if you're uh, if you're interested, marking your calendars. At Wembley Stadium, hallowed ground. Um, not too much to say about the, the semifinals. I, I'll just say, with regards to Newcastle, what a night for Sean Longstaff. What a start to that game. I mean, the first seven minutes of that game, it was just, you felt like Newcastle could have been up 4-0. Yeah. Um, just a, a, I don't know, one of those nights at St. James Park that I feel like the people there have been waiting a long time for. A, a semifinal felt like a, a big occasion, um, and they and delivered. Think, they, they, the club just came out flying at the start. They were so ready for this. Yeah, I, th- I think it's also uh, important for the narrative that Newcastle are trying to form around themselves that, a guy from North Shields, a local guy, is the guy that scores the two goals that effectively puts them into the final. And it's not one of the the Saudi transfers. I mean, I do, I do think that is part of the story too. But um, a lot of happy fans, I'm sure. And that game is going to be really, really tight. That to me is a 50-50 game. Newcastle versus United? Yeah. 
yeah, I kind of see it that way too. I might slightly lean Manchester United. Okay. Um, but yeah. Um, United... It's going to be the final. Should Newcastle win it or lose it, it's going to be the kind of um, what's the word? Staging post, the marking post of of the new era. Their first final, win or lose, everything after this is going to be dramatically different. Who who do you think needs to win this more? Um, like who? Which club could could really do with winning this? And obviously, they both could, but. Just I, a question. I, it's it's tough because I think Ten Hag would love a trophy to kind of um compound the good work that's been done so far. It'd be great to have a trophy in February already. Trophy and a top four finish. Yeah. That would be that would be pretty good progress. Successful uh, season, I think. Yeah, and, say. And, and like I said, as for Newcastle, I mean they want silverware. Their supporters want it so badly. You know what? I'm just gonna go with Newcastle because the, by the way, the feedback from the question we asked last week was overwhelming me in my favor from Newcastle supporters in America and a few in Canada and a few in the in the United Kingdom. They want that trophy. The gap for silverware has been so long for the club. We'll see. And they I feel as if top it. four is almost like an inevitability, but they want they want the hardware. They think that? Oh, I think so, yeah. The top four is an inevitability? Yes. How could they not? Look at the progress and look at who owns them and the money that they have. Well, yeah, maybe in general, but this season, it's going to be, I think it's going to be a fight for them. Not not necessarily this season, but like eventually, whereas when you have a trophy in front of you, you win the trophy. Uh, we'll see. I still, I still don't know that I believe that they're being totally honest. I think they're, uh, I think they're humoring you. They pity I mean, you. The, the lack of honesty will be on the part of their owners, not the supporters themselves, Andrew, oh. as we've learned. Um, but yeah, I don't have a ton else to say on on the Carabao Cup. I, I know um, it was a little bit of interest to people that Jaden Sancho came on from Manchester United um, as, you know, he's now kind of working back into the fold. Um, but I, I don't have very much on that. To that be totally let's honest. not even try and make stuff up. United yeah. made heavy weather of it. They were already through anyways, and then they scored two goals. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, it was overall a good night uh, for both of the favorites, and and it should it sets up a really uh, a great final. That should be a, a fascinating game. I think it will be a good final, definitely. Yeah, looking forward to that. Um, hey, you know what else I'm looking forward to? Let's uh, let's do this. Go 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 show. Oh, that's right, JJ. We are going in the club. Tell us where we're going. Andrew, we're going to Fulham. We're going to Jack Collins of the Ranks FC podcast and, of course, more pertinently, the Fulhamish podcast to discuss what's going on this season and, in general, at Craven Cottage. It's in the club, guys, with uh, one of the most eagerly awaited in the clubs we've had in a while. I'm talking Fulham. I'm talking with Jack Collins of the Ranks FC podcast and, of course, the Fulhamish podcast Jack, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm brilliant, thanks. Thanks for having me on. It's a, a real pleasure, and I've been awaiting this as eagerly as you, I think. So uh, I'm really excited. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, Jack, let's let's start with the, I suppose, full disclosure, guys, transfer deadline day. Is Anthony Robinson going to Manchester City? 
bloody hope not uh, would be <laughs> my first take on that because Levin Kazar was the only backup and considering how he's performed this season uh, I don't think that's a situation that Fulham will want to be left in I'd be very surprised if Fulham accepted a bid I, I think they might say to Anthony Robinson look if City still want you in the summer we'll we'll happily sell you but with six hours to go no formal bid lodged I, I can't see Fulham sanctioning that deal just, just there's not enough space or time to get a replacement in so I think he'll stay, although I do think clubs will come calling again for Anthony Robinson, considering how he's performed this season. But for, for now, I think he'll be at the cottage for the for the second half of this season. Yeah, I, and just generally speaking, do you see him as a as a Pep Guardiola style footballer? Could he could he come in and slot into the the kind of system that Pep plays? I think it'd be very interesting to see how how he develop because he's been a very kind of out round the outside footballer. So a- actually, if you if you look back and you look how City used to play when you know, and, and apologies for mentioning his name, but when Benjamin Mendy used to play uh, in that left back role, that's exactly the kind of system I can see Anthony Robinson right. filling in in. But since then, uh, it's been a very different system. You know, Zinchenko, Cancelo inverting inwards. So unless Pep has decided that he suddenly wants to go back to flying fullbacks around the outside, then I'm not sure how it works. But Pep tends to have a, a better handle on these things than most. So maybe he sees a way of of going again. You know, maybe he's seen everyone else start to invert their fullbacks on the back of City doing it last year. And he's gone, right, we're going back to basics. We're going back to flying down the flanks and hitting the byline. So I, I suppose so. But I, I think it would take a change of back to an old sort of city system if Anthony Robinson was really going to thrive because going inside he has been quite ball clumsy uh, pretty much throughout his career at Fulham so let's let's go to Fulham in general uh, how shocked are you by this this pretty great season they're having so far was was this was anyone expecting this no if we go any further up the table I'm going to get a nosebleed so it, it does feel like it's one of those where Fulham have started so well and been so cohesive and I think more than anything you know the league table often is a little bit deceptive especially in this range between sort of 12th and 7th I would say mm. uh, and especially with Chelsea and Liverpool kind of dragged into that mire it's quite hard to look at it and be like oh Fulham going to finish seventh um but I think generally the most impressive thing about this campaign is that Aside from the Newcastle game at Craven Cottage, where Fulham went down to 10 men after about 10 seconds, um, no one has completely and utterly railed Fulham, basically. Nobody has come and or, or played against Fulham and taken us and put us, put us to the sword. And that, I think, is the most impressive thing. In a, in a season where, you know, you're obviously going to lose games and Fulham have lost last minute to uh, games in, in terms of Newcastle away, City away, Man United at home. Right. There have been these kind of falling down moments but generally Fulham have been competitive toe to toe in every game and I think that's been the best thing about this season I'm going into this second half not necessarily worried about the fact that Fulham will be competitive and I think if we're competitive in games there'll be more than enough to stay up but yeah I think every Fulham fan would have taken 17th on goal difference at the start of this year just to stop the cycle of down and up and down and up and much was made of that yo-yo kind of tag right I think it was perhaps a little bit overplayed in the way that it was it was actually set up but generally I think to be able to stop that rot and be able to settle back into a Premier League season obviously it's going to be a hard slog wherever the, the season is but to be able to go right we've we've stayed up we've got some consistency and, and we're looking upwards instead of trying to bounce between divisions at, at every possible opportunity I think is is such a nice place to be in at this point in the season so Marco Silva Mm. Um, derided when he went into English football, did enough at Hull despite relegation to kind of get that vibe that he could do 
something at a bigger side, goes to Everton, doesn't quite work out. And now this kind of revival at Fulham. What's he done to Fulham and what's his qualities as a manager? I think that there's lots of, of bits. I think generally it's it's easy to forget that Marco Silva in his first year at Everton steered them to seventh mm. and and actually finished the season really strong. And, and yes, when he was sacked, they were in the relegation zone. Reasonable. I don't think that was a, necessarily a bad decision. Someone did point out that since Marco Silva left Everton and in the two years that he's been at Fulham, Fulham have scored more league goals than Everton have in that time, uh, which is a nice little tidbit <laughs> of information just to, to kind of keep on the side. I think generally he has brought in a core of players who believe in believe in exactly how he wants to play. And he hasn't shied away from the idea that Fulham are going to come to the top flight and continue to play his style of football. So when the Fulham have come up before under Slavisa Jakanovic the first time and then under Scott Parker, especially under Parker, and Jakanovic didn't get long in the Premier League before Fulham went ultra-defensive, bring in Ranieri and try and grind out 1-0 wins, try and grind out 0-0 draws away from home. Parker did much the same. And I think what's been so refreshing is that in the Championship, Marco Silva let Fulham absolutely off the leash. He, you know, he, he went and said to the front three, Harry Wilson, Alexander Mitrovic, and Niskins Cabano, you'd argue at least two of those, but probably all three are better than Championship quality players. Sure. And he went, like, go and have fun. And Fulham took that gleefully and, and and basically ran with it. And I think it was the first time in ages that Shackle's been taken off. And we've come into the Premier League and you actually look at it and there hasn't been any kind of... There's always been adaptations in style. You can't play exactly the same way when you're, you're battering Team 7-0 every week to, to what you can in the Premier League. But he hasn't withdrawn that ability of Fulham to just kind of go and create when, when the opportunities arise. There's been no take your foot off the gas pedal and try and grind out you know, a 1-0. There is go and get the second. And I think Fulham have bought into that. You know, when, when Fulham were up in the Premier League, especially the first few years in sort of 2001 and, and that first stint in the Premier League, a lot of Fulham's play was quite joyful and, and, and off the cuff. And they were quite a swashbuckling team. It was very, you know, counter, counter punches and playing, playing through opposition. That had been taken away, that identity, I think, in recent years. And Silva has reignited it in perhaps the nicest possible way and then taken that quality and believed in it in the Premier League and that's what we're seeing the results of, I think. You hear a lot of stuff from fans, like the, the Tottenham fans, they love entertainment and, and, and Everton fans, you know, they like the dogs of war. There's all these kind of tropes that go around. But yeah. at, at Fulham, it does seem to apply because we think of Fulham in the 70s, maybe with Rodney Marsh, uh, George Best, uh, brief stint there. Right. And uh, we think of a, a certain style of play. And even then when Keegan, uh, when they got that injection of money, yeah. Uh, from uh, the Al-Fayeds, there was, there was this kind of perception that Fulham, they may not be good, but they will play good football. Does that still remain? Is that an expectation of the fans? I think it helps. Um, you know, it, it helps when you're in bad periods. If you go through three games and you lose each of them narrowly, but you've played well in all three right. of them, I think it's easier to stomach than, you know, when, when Scott Parker was, was in and Fulham were playing in the championship. And I, I use the championship windows kind of seasons as, as examples because I think it's slightly easier in that Parker would sit on a one nil win against Barnsley at home. And whilst that's fine, and you the three points are the same three points, whether you do that or not, with the squad that he had at his disposal, it felt like he was hugely limiting the creative options. Whereas I think with Silva, he's gone, yeah, go on, go and hammer someone. And, you know, I think there was a period last January, Fulham won 7-0, 6-2, 6-2 in three games on the bounce. And everyone was kind of 
shocked, flabbergasted. But I think that gives you then a little bit more credence if there are defeats. You know, you slip to a 1-0 defeat away from home against opposition you think you should beat. And you look back and you go, well, we've been all right in the last three games, haven't we? So it's probably going to be all right. Whereas I think under Parker, it felt very different in the way that it was like, well, we just edged past Barnsley. So now we've lost to Derby away. That's There's no kind of give in in, in the fan base in terms of what their expectations are. So, yeah, I, I think that there's definitely a, a point to it. And I think it probably helps a little bit, especially when you are a club that aren't going on necessarily to challenge for things at the sharp end. Right. I think having that identity, and I've spoken to Norwich fans about this in the past, where their identity was always about bringing through young players and, and trying to play play football the right way. Similar vibes. And a lot of people kind of ridiculed for them that because they were relegated and bottom, bottom of the league and, and all of those things. But it was that you can cling on to when you are bouncing between divisions. And I think there's something probably a little bit similar at Fulham. There are to my mind, two relics of a bygone era at Craven Cottage. One is the actual cottage dating back to the 17th century. Very important historical point there. And that is uh, protected, may not be touched. And then there's another one who was a throwback, Alexander Mitrovic, a dying breed, that kind of number nine center forward who is uh, bulky, stocky, strong, has an incredible skill level, amazing first touch and scores brilliant goals. I, do you consider yourself blessed to have this guy at your club? Oh, absolutely. 100%. Um, I, I think the official term is San Alexander in, in, in many places. But yeah, I think when you're looking at it, and it's, it's an interesting one because I think you're absolutely right about it being a throwback. And then I look at the Premier League and I look at European football as a whole and you go, hang on everyone's after number nines again all of a sudden. And I wonder if, you know, they always say, don't they, that football is cyclical. There are no new ideas, just different interpretations of the old ideas. And I think that what we're seeing is this kind of sudden reclamation of the number nine in, yeah. in these sides. And and Mitrovic has just been plugging away, doing his thing for so long. And and I think that there are there are certain elements of him which definitely are very, very old school. There are certain elements of him which are very, very sharp as well and new school and and I think we saw this under Silver last year for the first time he wasn't just a goal threat he suddenly became a creative force as well and he was dropping into spaces learning his own limitations as well which I think is important he's never been a player that can run off the shoulder of the last defender because he's simply not quick enough and suddenly you go Silver's gone right stop doing that it's silly because you never get there drop into spaces and Harry Wilson and Fabio Carvalho are going to run in front of you and all you're going to do is flick the ball over the top for them suddenly he's picked up seven assists and you're like oh okay right this is new we haven't seen this element of Mitrovic before so I think we're getting a kind of dual sword in in many ways one you get the old school he's going to batter your defenders at the back post you know the ball is going to be pitched up to him and he's going to win those headers and he's going to you know score those goals but secondly as you say that first touch and ability to bring into others into play feels like a new dimension to his game and I think it's really brought that all-round game into its own kind of focus this year and suddenly no one's saying he can't do it in the Premier League anymore which is a welcome relief in many ways. Uh, Someone who people had doubts over doing it for his country and possibly I guess I'm going to ask you that question for Fulham when you considered Tim Ream Mm. 35 uh, coming into this season as your centre back in the Premier League like we we honestly thought he was done with the United States albeit he'd been played out out of position in his last games but there'd been such a gap between those games we didn't think he, he would play in the World Cup but was there the similar concerns amongst Fulham fans for what was going to happen this season with Tim Ream? And and I suppose our, 
to, to add to that, are you absolutely shocked by what you've seen in, 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 in this kind of Indian summer to his career? I wouldn't say necessarily shocked, but I do think those fa- those fears were definitely there. And and I think part of it is the fact that Tim Ream never really got an opportunity in the Premier League. The last two times that Fulham came up, he was basically replaced in the, in the squad straight away. Right. He got a little bit of a go the first time round on Jukanovic and Ranieri. But under Parker, he was pretty much dropped straight away for, for Jurkin Anderson, who came in. And so all of his really commanding, imperious performances in Fulham shirts have come in the championship. And when you kind of see that and you go, okay, so he's coming under Marcus Silva. Is he going to want a younger centre-back? No chance. He comes in and Tim Ream becomes the bedrock of that side that goes up in the championship. And you look at that and you go, okay, we're going to get to the Premier League. Are we going to say, are we going to see the same thing again? And I think a lot of people thought that because Tosin Adrabayo was excellent last year. Um, although I think Manny would say that Ream was the better defender. There's that kind of younger element of, of Tosin that, that kicks in. And then Issa Diop was signed in the summer to, you would assume, partner Tosin. Uh, instead, they rotate to partner Tim Ream, uh, <laughs> who remains you know, the heart and soul of this side in so many ways. And when you just look at these performances, it's everything you were seeing in the championship. But suddenly it's being done at the highest possible level. And, you know, maybe it is one of those cases. I'm now loathe at some point. It's It's one of those weird things where... You go, well, next summer, surely we're going to have to buy a centre-back because right. Tim Ream surely can't do this again. But why not? Because he's done it so many times already that the kind of maybe you're just going fine wine, Scottish whiskeys, Tim Ream, uh, things that just continue getting better with age. So I think it's been incredibly impressive. It's so much credit to him, his work rate. Uh, his application on the training field is something that Silva's talked about so many times. Um, and he has been a, a genuine, absolute hero at Fulham for so many years that it's really lovely to watch. And and that kind of bond and affiliation he has with the fans. It's lovely to see that getting, as you say, an Indian summer because just of the of the way that he has conducted himself during his entire time. He was never you know, brought, he wasn't brought in necessarily as a starter. People thought he might be a left back. Wow. People weren't quite sure what he did. Um, he was dropped in seasons gone by for, you know, the likes of Michael Madel and Dan Byrne, who at the time wasn't the Dan Byrne you know and love today. Um, but he's just continued plugging, continued working hard and got his head down and, and made himself indispensable. And I, I can't credit him enough. Uh, final one on Fulham for me. Just I, I wanted to ask because I was listening to a conversation the other day and it was that this is the season of the well-run club of your Brentfords, of your Brightons, of your Fulhams. And I thought, yeah. And then I, I paused and I thought about Fulham because it wasn't so long ago that that was not the case. And that, in fact, ownership was making changes behind behind the scenes. There was a director of football who was sacked. Uh, there was there was all sorts going on. Maybe you can shed a bit of light on that. Where where are the club now in terms of the way they're run and the terms uh, in terms of the perception of the supporters of the ownership? Yeah, it's it's a really tricky one um, because in the first years of the Khan era, uh, Shah Khan and his son Tony, there was pretty much just chaos behind the scenes at all times. We had all sorts of people turning up, all sorts of, of people being employed. We went through a cycle of managers in really quick succession. There were accusations being thrown around in, in the media, in the press. It was all very dirty laundry in public. Right. And... There has been a perception of, of Tony Khan, who is director of football operations, I believe, um, as a kind of, OK, I'm just going to ask the machine what the machine thinks. And it's not the nuance that's used with statistical recruitment in the way that Brent 
Brentford and Brighton have done so well. And it does pain me to say that about Brentford. Um, but <laughs> it, it's one of those where I think, you know, from my perception of it, at the very least, Tony Khan has realized that there were mistakes made. He's realized that the systems that were in place weren't perfect. And he's done a very good job in the last two seasons of recruitment in bringing in players that not only the manager wants and, and, and kind of wants to work with, but also can fit the statistical models and do look like players that Fulham can progress and either sell on for profit or are going to become key parts of the cog at Craven Cottage. And you look at some of the deals that were picked up last summer, Andreas Pereira, everyone thought that's a bit of a strange signing to replace Fabio Carvalho, who has been absolutely dynamite. Bernd Leno, I think most people are pretty happy with that signing. But when you consider that Arsenal sold him to Fulham for, I'm pretty sure, like three hot dogs and a, and a packet of Haribo, it, it, it does look like probably one of the signings of the season in the Premier League full stop, never mind, just, just at Craven Cottage. And I think that when these players have been brought in, it's a Diop as well. Joao Polina, who has been Fulham's player of the season by an absolute distance. And you kind of start to see a, a notion happening. Even Willian, right? Who was, uh, it was, it was lambasted that oh, signing yeah. by everybody. But Fulham clearly saw something and Marco Silva clearly saw something. And what I think the, the, the backroom staff or, or the front of house, if you will, have, have done well in recent years, is started to communicate better with the management about what they actually want. Uh, and the players that, are wanted and instead of everyone having to go through a rigorous two box tick system i think there is a little bit of space now for marco silva to go i want this player and i think it's a good deal we should bring him in whereas i think beforehand that there was a kind of rift there between the team management and and, and the people in charge of the club so i don't think it's a, a case of just let the manager get whoever he wants i think there is still a back-end process at Fulham that is now starting to work a little bit better. Um, but I think there has been a little bit more compromise between the two sides in building something. And I think that's what makes Fulham at the moment on the pitch a very well-run club. Jack, you've been brilliant with your time. There was one thing I wanted to mention, which was off-topic from Fulham. Uh, the Ranks FC podcast, you guys did a film, which I have yet to watch, but I am going to watch it, which uh, has kind of got me excited about Athletic Bilbao. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so we went to Athletic Love in Bilbao with New Balance in November, end of October, just before the World Cup. Uh, we made a little 15-minute mini documentary about the club and about the history and, and, and what the club stands for. So it was a lot of fun. It was our first ever documentary, um, and it's on the Ranks FC YouTube channel. It's called Born Bread Bass, because if anyone fancies having a look at that, I, I would be very much appreciative. It's something we're, we're very proud of. So thank you, JJ. I really appreciate that. No, no, no. I, I, I'm curious to watch it uh, because of you guys, but also because of that club and, and the unique model they operate. And it's weird yeah. for us as Premier League watchers to even think of a model like that, right? Yeah, it's really strange. And it's one of those where you see, I think of all the clubs in the world, although I think Benfica might be giving them a run for their money at the moment. Um, in terms of transfer release clauses, it is very much a, you pay what we ask for or you don't and you don't get them. And because there is, you know, they can obviously recruit from Real Sociedad, from, from Osasuna, from a, a few others who have basketball and players, but not many clubs have those and, and the cost costs quite a lot. So they're not that interested in transfer fees because they're like, what are we going to do with it? We, we can't spend that much on, on a player who is a superstar. So when the superstars come, they tend to stick around. And I think it's an incredible model. And, you know, and it, there's been accusations in the past that it's xenophobic. I don't think it feels like that 
from from a kind of perspective of being within it it's very much about building a community club and i think it's it's a really really interesting watch and a real split between the kind of commercial world of football as we know it and then this kind of old school idea of what a club should be and what it should represent and that athletic are very much of bilbao they represent bilbao the, you know the people of bilbao support the club they don't go off to to become barcelona or real madrid fans it is very much a one club town and i think that it's just a really really interesting vibe it, when you stack it up against the idea of you know we're recording this on deadline day where i'm watching people throwing mad money around for mad things and it, it's a mad day generally and you don't get that athletic they're just like no it's all right we we recruited someone from the academy at the start of january we're not we're not that stressed so it, it's a nice counterpoint a wonderful Todd Bowley-less world that they Indeed. inhabit out there. Yeah. Indeed. Jack Collins, uh, Ranks FC podcast. Guys, go have a listen to that. And of course, Fulhamish, uh, which is uh, essential listening for our Fulham listeners and supporters in America. Jack, thanks again. No, thank you, JJ. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Oh, big thanks to Jack there. What a great guy. So, um, so did I live up to your Fulham expectations? There was a lot I of pressure from, from you. I loved it. I thought it was great. My only critique, I don't know that I would have started uh, with a question asking whether or not Anthony Robinson was leaving, considering this is airing after the transfer window has closed. But, you know, we we all make choices. Well, it actually worked out, didn't it, Andrew? Because he didn't leave? Yeah, and and, uh, and it was uh, pretty pretty clear from Jack why that wouldn't have, uh, wouldn't have been a good thing yeah. for him to go. So stop trying to pick holes in a great interview. Um, I enjoyed the uh, the Tim Ream stuff, obviously. Um, it was interesting to hear him say that he was not he was not altogether shocked by this Ream Renaissance, or what did you call it? The Indian this Indian summer. Yeah, his Indian um, Indian summer. Yeah, that he wasn't necessarily shocked by it, but he did point out that this was an opportunity that Ream wasn't given in the past uh, in Fulham's other trips up to the Premier League. That he was kind of quickly replaced by other players, moved to the bench, but now interesting, he was given the chance. Interesting that they had seen such good play from him in the championship though. Mm-hmm. That 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 was that was really interesting to me too and um yeah, no they are um <laughs> I I love the fact that uh, that Mitrovic is there. You could probably tell in my voice in the interview in the interview. I I Mitrovic is just he's such a throwback. He's so enjoyable to watch and um and Jack's right, there's not too many left. Of his ilk. So there you go. Jack Collins, uh, thank you for joining in the club with JJ on this one and uh, the Fulhamish podcast. Check it out for everyone out there who uh, also claims Fulham is their second club. And I can I can vouch for the Ranks FC look into Athletic Club in Bilbao. It was, uh, it was very, very interesting. The rule about them only signing Bass players is not actually a rule. It's not codified in law. It's just what they do. So um, check that out uh, on YouTube. That does sound interesting. Uh, very cool. Thanks again to Jack. Uh, let's see a couple final things, JJ, just as we wind it down here, a little bit of surprising news, obviously that no one could have been expecting this morning. Antonio Conte of Tottenham will be uh, missing a little bit of time after having um, his gallbladder removed. I guess he was experiencing a, uh, what I can only assume was a great deal of pain and uh, had to be rushed in for surgery. So, so there's that. Yeah. I mean, Spurs. What causes that, do you know? I have no idea. What do I look like? I mean, yeah. I'm just curious, is it anything to do with diet, something like that? Maybe we can help him out. 
Well, it's, it's a little late for that, don't you think? The gallbladder's yeah. been removed. The gallbladder's gone. There's no yeah. putting it back. It's over. There's no diet that's going to save it. But yeah, uh, best to him, and I hope he recovers fully. Um, yeah, yeah, agreed on all counts. Um, I had a joke, but I'm not going to do it. Oh, it was great. about the, the production of bile and uh, bile from Spurs supporters. And, I, you know, I I was the bigger man and I left it alone. Thank you, I think. Uh, let's see. One, uh, I wanted to mention this. I was actually at um, with Gotham FC of the NWSL. I was with them the other day. They had kind of a little mini fashion shoot uh, for a couple of their new players, Kelly O'Hara. Lynn Williams, uh, their rookie, Jenna Nyswanger out of Florida State. Um, so it was cool kind of seeing them, getting to to meet Kelly O'Hara. She is, I found her to just be, I mean, they were all great. Uh, but like Kelly O'Hara, I just found to be, she's so impressive. She just is. Like the way she kind of just carries herself, her confidence, um, you know, just she's obviously so experienced in this, like how she deals with the media. Um, I don't know. It was cool just kind of like hanging around sort of being a fly on the wall for this event. Um, it was pretty intimate, not really many people there. Uh, I know they, they, they each gave kind of little mini press conferences afterwards. I think it was just over zoom. Um, so we'll see. I mean, Kelly O'Hara right now, she's been dealing with a, a hip, a lingering hip injury. That's kind of kept her out of the U S women's national team picture, but she fully expects to be there come the world cup. Um, so, and, and I would, I would, you know, even her with her getting in up into her, early i guess you have to say mid 30s now what's she 33 i'd have to double check um but i would expect her to be there as well so but yeah it was it was enjoyable um, looking forward to the start of that season did you would you say you had a brief chat with her or a long chat uh my chat was brief my chat with her was brief uh but then she did an interview with with our people that were there and, and um, did you uh, do you have to ask her to come on the our podcast no, it wasn't the it wasn't the place for that. Well, no, sure, sure. Yeah, talking to her was not the place to ask her. But I was there for another uh, another entity, my day job. Yeah, but there would be nothing wrong just to say, "Hey, do you want to join me and JJ on?" on would have been t- wholly inappropriate. Pathetic, absolutely wholly pathetic. inappropriate. It's just, I mean, I literally go out, you know. So again, myself. So, for so this here podcast. we are, right back to where we started this podcast with. I'm trying to tell about a, a cool, fun experience, and you have once again made it about you. You're mad at me now for for reasons that were unforeseen. I by just anyone. Like that, I just yeah. I'm sorry. I, I I wouldn't have been able to help myself, but to ask her, do you want to come on our podcast? Didn't feel like the right time. No, it's never the right time with you, is it? Didn't feel like the right time. Um, but it's going to be just kind of like being around them and kind of reading up a little bit and starting to starting to think more about the upcoming women's world cup. It's going to be interesting for this U S team. Like I'm really, I'm really intrigued by this. There's a little bit of a changing of the guard thing going on. They don't think Julie Ertz will be available to them, which is huge. Sam Mewis is now injured and they've already determined she will not be available. Um, so and it's, per- it's going to be interesting. Performances generally under Vlatko have not been impressive. Yeah. Even like their recent, it's funny because I guess we have like a, we have sort of a weird, standard for them because and they've set that standard but like even their most recent game against new zealand you know they won four nil but you wouldn't know it based on like the the comments made about that game now the second half was a different story but the first half was nil nil mm. not it wasn't wasn't fun to watch 
wasn't dominant, but like that's what they can do though. They can they can win four nil and it can be a bad night. I guess that does speak a little bit to how good they are. But like, you know, they Kelly O'Hara, she she talked in the interview that we did with her, she talked about the you know, sort of the state of the women's game going into this World Cup and how like there is there's a noticeable rise in the level of competition in this sport. Like what you've seen with England, the way they went and won the Euros. Like there's you know, it's it's the field is is really, really difficult. And this is going to be one of their most probably one of their biggest challenges yet uh, yeah. in this one. It'll yeah. be interesting. I'm excited for that. Obviously, you Very. could see it. Yeah, you could see that the last tournament things are teams are getting better, much, much better. Yeah, but that's good. Yes, it's, it's nobody wants to see the U.S. absolutely destroy everyone. Nobody wants that. Well, mm. <laughs> um. Let's see. A couple other things, JJ. Uh, one MLS note I wanted to mention. Big loss for LAFC. Christian Arango headed to Pachuca. Mm. Who, by the way, they could potentially meet up with LAFC in uh, what I guess would be the Arango Derby. Um, but that would I think that could only occur if they both... I think they're on separate sides of the bracket in the CONCACAF Champions League, so I guess they'd have to meet in the final. I'm hearing that the wages in Liga Mekis is just so good right now. And that there there seems to be money flying around that league. So I'm sure he was made an offer he couldn't refuse. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm guessing that that had something to do with it. Um, you know, it's interesting too. Like that's that they're gonna. F- it's LAFC, uh, so like they'll, you know, they're a high profile club. They'll they have a DP spot available. Uh, they're always active. They're a destination club, so the roster is still gonna change. But they'll feel this. Like he, he was a non DP there. And like for that production that he gave him, thirty-five goals, six assists in fifty-eight games, that is that's hard to replicate. It is, it is. It, it, there's no question he's a big loss, Andrew. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure he had to think twice about leaving the reigning MLS Cup champs. I know. But I know. Like but you're I right. Said, the, maybe the wages did have something to do with that. I would I would think at twenty seven years of age that that was a concern. Yeah, but like I don't know. Just think about LAFC; they'll still be great. They're they're one of those clubs that like you just trust right now. Um, but you know, when their other superstar is an aging Vela, you've lost Bale. Now you're losing a, a highly productive twenty-seven-year-old. Like they could feel that. So you know, we'll see who kind of steps in. Like like I said, again, it could be somebody who's not currently on the roster. They could fill that designated player spot, and and they may who knows? Maybe they'll just not even feel it at all. But you know, they might have to get product, you know, Quadwell, Poku. Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. It'll be interesting. But that, yeah, when I when I saw that one come across, I, I definitely, definitely caught my eye. Um, John Herdman, JJ. Oh. So explain to us what, what has happened here in the last 24 hours with him and Canada. So there was a report came out of New Zealand basically saying that John Herdman had, how shall I put it? Agreed. How do you say? how you say agreed to join uh, and become manager of the New Zealand men's national team. And, uh, and then all this speculation started going around on Twitter about how was it possible for the Canadian soccer association to mess this up that much that he would leave. And then there was people saying, well, he's, he's using this. It's not actually happening. He's using it as a bargaining chip for, I suppose, better terms with Canada. And then you had Taylor Twelman saying it's a good thing if he goes, which... Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that specifically. I was stunned. 
by that take. I think it's I think that's nonsense. I think it's absolute nonsense. Now, did did they were there times where you thought they were tactically naive at the World Cup? Yeah, maybe. But there was other times they were unlucky the way they they should have beaten Belgium in the first yeah. game. And had they done that, that changes the complexion of the entire group. They've got they've got excellent attacking talent and okay, some there are parts of the team that maybe aren't playing at as high a level as your Jonathan Davids and your and your um Davies, uh, Lauren. Yeah, all those guys. So maybe you know. I think what he's done is amazing. They won the CONCACAF group. Yeah. Look at the change around since he came in in 2019. He's been brilliant. In the face um, of like somewhat difficult circumstances with all the controversy there with the, the Canadian FA, like, I don't know. I Look, I, I trust Taylor Twelman implicitly on these things. So when I, I see don't. him, when I see him say something like that, it makes, it forces me to wonder if he knows something that, that I don't. You know, beyond well, what does he, but beyond like, just the field of play, I don't know. Uh, but I, it's just because just with what I've seen from Canada, for him to say that, it just it was just so jarring to me that it made me wonder. I don't know, maybe there's just more to this than I understand. Because uh, on the I, surface I, of it, I was shocked by that. Yeah, I I did not see enough of the World Cup to think that this guy it wasn't getting the absolute limit out of the team. Um, and and look, luck comes into it. And like I said, they beat Belgium. It's a different tournament, and they should have. But yeah. um, but he's going to be back. He's uh, he's issued a statement. He's he's recommitting to Canada. There you go. I think I don't know. I think and I was looking at you can't use Twitter as a guide for everything, but I, I was curious to read through some of the comments. They seemed overwhelmingly positive. Most Canadian fans were thrilled to find out that he will be back with them. And and this is a guy who's of the younger breed, a younger generation. I was listening to um, David Moyes talk to uh, the diary of a CEO podcast and he was talking about when he left Manchester United and how he couldn't go to Old Trafford to watch games or watch training. He couldn't go to Goodison to watch games or watch training and kind of stay in the loop and keep up with all those different things. Uh, and how he said he, he had to, he had to really try hard to change his ideas and his coaching his co- basically bring new things into his coaching John Herdman comes from a generation where coaches are doing that all the time, or at least mo- most of the young ones are. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think I I would trust him. You're on about trusting uh, Twelman implicitly. I would trust Herdman that if there are tactical changes he can make, he will do it. I think he's done an excellent job, and he deserves another cycle. I trust everyone. I'm a very trusting person. Probably probably to a to a fault. I would say. Are you? Yeah, I believe everything I hear. I trust everyone I meet. It's uh, yeah, just how I'm wired. Well, I trust you're going to give us a review of the Super League on so, um, Apple TV. So I just finished it uh, okay. yesterday. Four-part series. No spoilers. Um, I should say, too, I am being paid $0 to be promoting this. I'm, I'm giving, I've been paying Apple money. Uh, so it's not about that. Um I lo- I thought it was I thought it was excellent. I really did. I thought it was was really really good. Um you know, it it boy, it uh Jeff Zimbalist is the uh the director for it. Um who's he's phenomenal with these things with these different projects. Um and you know, he like 
boy, he takes you back there. Like he kind of it's it's filmed basically over the course of the four days. Like you know, if you think back, JJ, to how we did the those special Sunday, podcasts: Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Yeah, like the whole it's a four part series, basically profiling each of those four days, um, and with with the exception of Gianni Infantino, every single person that you would want to hear from, you hear from in a in a big way. Uh, there were elements of this. I don't want to give too much away. Okay. But I'll say this about it. In in real time, as this was all going on, you know, we were obviously, our focus was was on the fate of this sport. I remember just thinking like, are we, are we living in the end of this sport as we know it? Like that was our focus. It's just like, what does this actually mean? So some of the extraneous stuff you weren't necessarily as focused on. This documentary, this series, they have the time to go through that stuff. And I'll say this, in the moment, I did not, I always knew the Alexander Seferin, the president of UEFA, and Andre Agnelli, I always knew that there was a relationship that was fractured by whatever happened here. <laughs> I did not know the extent of it. I mean, this is like Shakespearean stuff. Wow. I, that, that whole, that whole storyline between those two, it could be a documentary unto itself. Wow. I found it. I found that part of it riveting. Is there is um, there like a, a relationship betrayal between the two? They were oh, close and then riven apart by this. I mean, it's it's a hundred percent yes. I can't <laughs> say that more strongly. Wow. I mean, these guys were best like best friends. Doesn't describe it. Oh, there was betrayal. There was serious betrayal. It's incredible to watch how it plays out and how Seferin. He almost he can't believe it. Like he's almost in denial. Like people are saying to him, like Alexander, you I don't know that you should be trusting this. Oh no no no, it's my it's it's Andrea. Like no no, until it was until the reality hit him, and when it did, oh boy. But Seferin comes off. You know it's funny because like oftentimes in these sorts of things we put those guys who are the leaders of these major organizations for whatever reason we just kind of view them as villains. Uh, not that's not how I see him. No, no, no. Um, so it was just great. Like Tarek Panja is featured in a lot of it. He's amazing. Oh, he's so good. I wish yeah. he'd respond to our emails. We used to, we've had him on several times in the past. During then, we had him on on one of those podcasts. He was brilliant with us. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. Watching this documentary now, I was like, wow, we we hit the head, nail on the head with that one. He's like the go to guy for this stuff now. Um, I thought it was great. I really did. Uh, boy, JJ, there are just some parts of it where I just got angry all over again. Like, you know, because it's great because they talk a lot. Agnelli is all over this thing. Um, Florentino Perez, all over this thing. And like, you hear these guys, they're still in denial. Like, it's at a point now, I always thought that this was entirely about greed. I still think it is. I still think that this is a greed. Uh, these guys can say whatever they want to say. I'll always believe that that was 100% at the center of this. They can talk about their their ideals that they were no 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 we're saving football. Mm. No you weren't. Okay? Like there's nothing that they can say that will ever change my mind about what this was based around. They were not trying to save football. They were trying to save themselves and make as much money for their clubs as possible. Um but hearing some of the things they say, I I was just mad all over again. Just oh man. And there's other guys too like Javier Tebas, the the president of La Liga. What a character. He's spectacular. <laughs> yeah. Holy cow. I mean, yeah. So check it out. Like I said, it's four parts. You don't have to watch it all at once unless, you know, you get sucked in and you want to keep going. Um, took me like, you know, a couple of weeks to kind of 
get piece my way through it on my different commutes into work and stuff like that. But man, I really, it's, it'll take you right back. It will. And you'll learn about everything that was going on behind the scenes as this all, as this all transpired. It was fascinating. Well, well you've absolutely sold that um, to us there, Andrew. And I, I can't wait to watch it. Um, I should mention before we get out, Seattle world club cup, the rave green will make their tournament debut on Saturday 12 p.m. Eastern, FS2 and Fox Deportes against Al-Hali of Egypt, who beat New Zealand's Auckland City 3-0 in Wednesday's round one opener in Tangier, Morocco. The Sounders are MLS's first ever participant in the competition, and they arrived as CONCACAF representatives, obviously via their uh, CONCACAF Champions League triumph last, triumph last season. Al-Hali now stand in their way of a February 8th semi-final showdown against Please. Spanish giants, Real Madrid. It has to happen. It has to happen. We need that game. Andrew, what would that do to the discourse? <laughs> I just want to see that game happen so bad. I hope so. Yeah. I mean, look, you know what we think of the Sounders on this show. We we think very highly of them. But it's a little bit weird that, like, yeah, they, they won the CONCACAF Champions League, and that's great. They also didn't make the playoffs in MLS, oh. and this is uh, this is MLS's representative. Like think, it's very, it's just odd. I think that is, but it's an odd thing to happen. You've got this amazing, like, uh, generational thing that happens where you win, like, a massive tournament in your region, and then you have to go back to the mundanity of like the regular season because you've won it right at the start. That is tough. Most clubs, it that doesn't happen to. Well, um, here they go again. Now they're going to play Real Madrid at the start of it, like near the well, start potentially, of the season. Potentially, I, hopefully, I, I, you're right. Uh, it's, there's no guarantees whatsoever. They're in their preseason now, so like it's. Not and I look forward to see MLS fans uh, lording it over Egyptian domestic soccer fans should they win that game. <laughs> well, well, if they let's say they get to Real Madrid and they they win that, like how I'm so curious how that will be viewed. Like if, well, that if they were to beat Real Madrid. Yeah, oh, like, yeah I will. Yeah. I will celebrate that. But I wonder if other people will be like, ah, like, what will people make it? Will there be excuse making? Because like, there's this. There's always going to be this segment of the population that just doesn't want to give MLS credit for anything. So it'll just be, oh, it's it's a thing that Real Madrid they don't give an s about this. Like, go ahead, celebrate this. Like, I won't see it that way. I will. I will be genuinely thrilled, and I will be rooting hard. No. For that. Yeah, well, let's let's beat the Egyptian champions first. You're right. How no, you're that? right. I, I'm I I should zap myself right now with this arrogance. Before we get out, I should mention that, and I forgot to mention there is a YouTube element to the uh, Fulham in the club. So if you want to watch, oh, oh yeah, to watch me and Jack on YouTube, that's going to drop. Uh, well, it's going to drop now. It will have dropped. It will be now. On presumably, the, the people that you're telling this to. We're at the end of the podcast. They've listened to the podcast. So they you're telling this now to the people who have already listened to it. Yeah. So okay. they can just go and watch it, really. Oh, okay. That's fine. Um, all to. right. I'll, but I'll watch uh, it. But, I mean, even if they don't watch, please subscribe to our YouTube. Please go and do that. No, I agree. Um, hey, this was this was a lot of fun. This was a lot of fun as we, uh, we re-enter a, a Premier League weekend coming up which I'm uh, very much looking forward to. Yeah, back um, to normal. Yeah, back to normal indeed. 
we'll start to observe Chelsea in this in this new world. See how they function. We'll see Everton in this same sad world. Um, so we'll see. It's going to be a, a we're kind of we're not in the sprint to the finish yet, but we're we're coming down the other side of the mountain. So here we go. Well, aren't we um, still three games behind where we ordinarily would be? I think we are. So. Well, we're at the halfway. We passed the halfway point, though. All right. Yeah. And at any rate, hey, this was great. Our thanks again to Jack Collins for going in the club. Uh, Fulhamish podcast. Feel free to check them out. They're doing great stuff over there. Uh, JJ, you're doing great stuff as well. To you, I say. Check you later, fun boy. I'll see you. Take care, man. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 